Amen. As we begin this morning, there's just a, a few announcements that I want to make before we get started. And uh, one is, if you are interested in studying or going through a survey of the entire Bible and every major doctrine of the Bible, uh, we have a, a class here on Monday nights called Faith Bible Institute that will do that. Uh, it is good for college credit, and it is uh, something that will help you learn and to grow in the Lord. Uh, the semester that's currently underway um, is is in operation, and you can't jump in there. But the time to and to enroll for the coming one and get a discounted rate is now. Uh, and so, if you're interested in that, you can see Brother JP, and he'd be glad to help you in the lobby after the service. Uh, but if you enroll, uh, if you're a new student and you enroll by November the 15th, uh, then you can save a little bit of money on um, on that. Uh, tuition cost, and so we'd want to make sure that you're aware of that and then make sure that you know that that's available to you uh, also we'll be having a men's meeting this tuesday night october the 12th at six o'clock uh, in the fellowship and so we'll be uh, looking at the third quarter quarter report for the church and as well as next year's budget uh, and then we'll be making a financial report to the church on uh, October the 24th on Sunday evening following the service and so those things are coming up also uh, ladies fellowship on October 21st uh, and so we look the ladies will be looking forward to that and then uh, next Sunday will be a special day and that will have a young evangelist with us will be preaching in the morning and the evening his name is Caleb Reed uh, and so he's traveled here before with the one of the war teams evangelistic teams that came through several years ago uh, and has launched out in evangelism and he'll be a blessing to us but we want to be a blessing to him as well and so uh, we'll look forward to a good Sunday with him uh, and so and, and we can be an encouragement to him as he launches. It's difficult for young men to launch out into evangelism. And so it's a very uh, great leap of faith. And so we want to be an encouragement and a blessing all that we can be. Uh, as we look this morning, as we continue our series, we're going to uh, build on what we started with last week. And so our series right now is Beginnings. Uh, and so we began last week by looking at the beginning of God's power displayed. There is no beginning to God's power. God is eternal uh, and always has been. And uh, if you can't understand that, don't worry, no one else can either. We just accept it by faith because that's what God said. Uh, and so we look and we understand that, uh, that God's power is not something that, uh, that just all of a sudden came to be. God is. God is. Uh, always has been, always will be, but the earth has not always been, uh, and all of us and humanity has not always been. And so we began looking last week at how God displayed that power in creation. And so we're going to look today at the beginning of man, uh, and then and in two weeks we're going to <coughs> continue to look, because these are themes that you see throughout the scripture. Most of the time we look and we delve into Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and we, uh, we focus on the home, we focus on the things that God created and how he created them and certainly we'll touch on those things here a bit. Uh, but overwhelmingly we see God's power throughout the course of, of eternity. Uh, we see man from creation is an eternal being from that point on and God's plan and God's purpose and God's uh, reason for bringing us into being. Uh, and then we see, we're going to see the following week how uh, we messed everything up with sin. We'll see the beginning of sin. The beginning of sin uh, necessitated the beginning of the display of God's grace. Uh, and it come about right here in the beginnings uh, of the Bible. Uh, and that necessitated man exercising his faith 
in God to accept the grace of God that we might have uh, a restored relationship, the relationship that we uh, broke. And so as we begin this morning, we're going to look at Genesis chapter number 1. And we're going to begin in verse number 26. Uh, we'll be looking here through the end of the chapter. And then uh, we'll also look at some verses in chapter 2 and a few other passages this morning uh, throughout the Bible. And so as we look uh, at the beginning of man, we see in verse number 26, chapter 1 of Genesis. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is fruit of a tree yielding seed to you, it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein uh, there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Father, as we begin this morning, I ask that you would bless our time and that you would bless your word. I pray that you would arrest our attention, that you'd help us to focus it upon you and what you have for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have open hearts uh, as you speak to us. And Lord, I pray that we would have the faith and the courage to act upon what you speak to us about this morning. And Lord, I pray that you'd help all of us to be uh, challenged, to be inspired, to walk more closely to you, to fulfill the purpose for which we're created. Lord, may we honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name and amen. So we begin this morning, we look and we saw last week, as we began to look at this display of God's power, that, uh, that God uh, showed his power, first of all, uh, as he created from nothing. When God created the expanse of space and when he created the earth and the, the sun, the moon, the stars, all of that expanse, he created from nothing. And so God showed from the onset his incredible power. How we reconcile what was before that, it's honestly, it's just beyond our comprehension. You can no more comprehend that than you can comprehend a big bang from nothing. Uh, and so however we look at and however a person looks at the universe and its origin, faith is involved. I either have to accept by faith that there was nothing and nothing exploded and we happened, or I have to accept by faith that God was and God spoke and God is. And so it's a faith exercise, no matter how you look at it. If you look at it honestly, uh, if you look at it uh, analytically, uh, it's beyond our comprehension. And so as we look and we examine this morning, uh, God does not try to explain himself when he begins uh, inspiring Moses to write Genesis 1.1. He simply opens by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He doesn't tell us anything about where he was before that or what was before that. 
Uh, we don't need to know. We just need to know that God is. And so when we understand this morning, God beginning now to display that power, he created from nothing. And he created uh, from what he created other things. And so, for example, uh, God created the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea from the waters. He spoke all that is, is as far as the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, he spoke them into existence. But when it came to creatures, uh, we see in uh, verse number 20 uh, that he said, and God said, let the waters, and for chapter 1, bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and the fowl that may fly above the earth and open and in the open firmament of heaven. And so God created the sea life and the fowl of the air from the waters. And so he again speaks and the, let the sea bring forth. And so they bring forth the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea. We see with the land creatures, everything from insects and other invertebrates to uh, to. Uh, reptiles, mammals, all the creatures that are, uh, we see that he brought them forth from the earth. He, he took the ground and he made them. Uh, it says in verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind. Uh, cattle uh, after and creeping thing and beasts of the earth after his kind and it was so. And so God brings forth by kind. Uh, and so when you look and you try to evaluate what's pushed on us culturally and educationally, uh, as far as evolutionary theory goes and thinking goes, uh, you know, you can look and you can see uh, that there's variation uh, between in, within the species, but that variation is limited to within its kind. Uh, it cannot uh, it cannot go beyond the kind. You can, uh, you can bring together uh, dogs and you can come up with a new breed, uh, but it's still a dog. Uh, you cannot bring a dog and a cat together and get something uh, that, that is going to uh, be able to live or to work or to even, uh, to even manifest itself. It doesn't work. It's a different kind. And so we have to understand this morning that God brought forth things by their kind. Uh, and so we understand that God brought them forth of the earth. If you look and you uh, analyze the chemical makeup uh, of, of the bodies and the structure, uh, it is the elements of the earth. It is the things that are within. As a matter of fact, I read this week uh, in, an, in an, old, <clears throat> an old book from, uh, that was written probably about four or five decades ago, uh, uh, kind of a recipe for making a man. If you wanted to make a man, you bring this much weight, of th this many pounds of this, and this many pounds of that, and it's all of the things uh, that it takes to make up the human body. Uh, and so, but that doesn't give you life. Uh, and so God gave life. And so when we look here, God displays his power as he created from nothing uh, and from the sea and from the earth. Uh, and then he showed us that he created personally. As he created, he created thoughtfully and he created compassionately. He did not just frivolously step out on the edge of eternity one day and create all that is without a purpose and without a plan. He, he did not do so without thought. When he looked at the human body, and if you were to study uh, I, the, the makeup of the cells and the atoms and, and the, the small microscopic creatures, and uh, some so small that, that, 
uh, it's even hard to really comprehend how, uh, how they could be seen with a, with a microscope and yet they have multiple stomachs and multiple this and multiple that. How we have the technology to even see that deep into them is baffling to me. Yeah. Uh, but, but every minute detail God gave attention to. He was thoughtful. He thought about how everything had to come together and work. To think about how the sun had to be just exactly the right distance, or the earth had to be just exactly the right distance from the sun. How the moon has to be just exactly the right distance from the earth. How the effect of the moon would cause the seas to uh, ebb and flow and the tides to rise and fall twice a day. Uh, God was thoughtful to put all of that in place. Uh, there are things that we'll never understand. Certainly they'll not be understood in our lifetime. But you can calculate when certain comets will fly through uh, our, our solar system and, uh, and galaxy. You can uh, put a date on when, <clears throat> when eclipses are going to be. And mathematically, you can figure these things out. Why? Because God set them in order. And God did what he did for mankind. He, he was personal, he was thoughtful, and he was compassionate. He thought about what we needed. He thought about what his creation would require in order for it to accomplish what he needed for it to accomplish. We saw that God demonstrated he had a plan. He established life, uh, but we also saw that he established laws to govern that life. For example, uh, that gravity is a law. It is a law of nature. It is not disputable. Uh, even uh, even the, the, the mind that wants to destroy everything of God has to admit that there is a law of gravity. Uh, and so the law of gravity did not come into be when it was figured out, understood, or discovered. It came to be when God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, and so God uh, not only set forth life, but God set forth law to govern that life and to ensure uh, that the earth wouldn't fly off from the sun or that the moon wouldn't fly off from the earth or that we wouldn't get too close to the sun and burn up or we wouldn't get too far away and everything freeze. God has set everything just the way that he wanted it and God has demonstrated his power. He's demonstrated that it's important to him, that he loves it, that he's compassionate towards it, that he was thoughtful with every detail and that he has a plan. We are not here by accident nor are we here just simply to exist. Uh, we are not on this earth as human beings uh, to feed other species. God gave uh, animal life for us to subdue, for us to have dominion over, to supply and to meet our needs. We were given the earth for us. And so the central focal point of all of creation is humanity. And what that means is that when we look at everything that God created, uh, that God created everything for man. Now I understand this morning that Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, and I'm not disputing that at all. I think I'm just taking a little finer look at it. But in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, he, he clearly tells us that he created everything for himself. Uh, and he says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things are created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. I'm not disputing that or trying to rethink that. What I'm trying to say is simply this, that the central focal point of all that God wanted to accomplish in creation was a relationship with mankind. And everything else that he created 
was created to support the one thing that was important to him. The one thing that was precious to him. The one thing that was sacred to him. Uh, for example, you take someone that, uh, that has a large ranch. And they, uh, they want to have whatever animal they are going to raise and that they are going to make a living from. That animal is the focal point and the, and the object of everything that they do. Uh, the land that they buy is with that in mind. Uh, the barns that they build are with that in mind. The ponds uh, that are dug are with that in mind. The uh, type of feed that's bought is with that in mind. Uh, all of it is for the owner because the owner wants the, uh, the, the, the benefit of what he seeks to raise. Uh, but all of it is for the needs of what the owner's looking for. That's the point I'm trying to make this morning. It's all God's. It was all created for God. But what God really desires in creation is a relationship with you. And so everything that God created was to support and to sustain you. And when we look and we understand uh, that God has created man and that man is special in the eyes of God, we begin to see that the beginning of man is different than the beginning of the earth. It's different than the beginning of the, of the sea life and the fowl life of the fowl of the air. It's different than the animal life uh, that creeps upon the, uh, the land. Uh, it's just different. It's special. It's sacred. We are not just another mammal. As the scientific community would say this morning. We are not evolved from uh, another beast. We are a kind. A human kind. And so there is no uh, how we got here or well, what about this and well, what about that. Well if you give enough time to pass. Usually you find out that what the scientific community labels as this man or that man. Ended up being a pig or uh, an ape or some other thing. Just give it time. God will be proven right. Amen. And so don't even, it's not even worth arguing about. Just believe God. Uh, and so when we look and we uh, make the decision, I'm going to trust and believe what God has said. Listen, no other creature on the earth was made in the image of God. Nothing else on the earth was made in the likeness of God. And so God sets us distinctly apart to that point. No other, no other species of anything on the earth stands and walks completely erectly like mankind does. We are the vision of God. Amen. We are not bent over. We are not slumped over. We are standing because we are the picture of the image of of God. We are created in his mind, uh, in his image. We have his character traits, his personality traits uh, displayed, though many of and us sin has corrupted those things. They still show us in their pure form who and what God is and who and what God desires. And so man was created this morning, first of all, by the hand of God. When he created everything else, he spoke. When he created man, he formed. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, and don't be confused about the fact that uh, Genesis 1 ends and says he created male and female, and then it gives us the details more clearly in chapter 2 of that process. It is not an addition to, it is just a clearer revelation of. Chapter 2 is a more 
detailed look at what took place in chapter 1. Uh, and so when we look and we consider the creation of man in verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Of no other creature is it said that they became a living soul. There's something about humanity that is distinctly different than all of creation. We are in God's image, in God's likeness, for God's purpose. We are created by the hand of God. He formed us. That implies physical touch. That implies a creative act. It implies the work of a potter at a potter's wheel. It implies close proximity to breathe into man the breath of life. Now I fully understand that God from a great distance could have blown and his breath could have traveled the expanse of space and man uh, could have received that breath and came to be. But God walked with them in the garden. God has demonstrated later more clearly the relationship. The relationship was close. The relationship was personal. I don't think in my own mind, and you can disagree with me on this point if you like, uh, because I, I can't emphatically say that this is exactly how this happened biblically, but in my mind's eye as I try to envision this, God created me for a close personal relationship. God's act of creation was up close and personal. God breathing into us the breath of life uh, was up close and personal, and he demonstrated that by walking with them in the garden afterward. God's creative act was by his hand. We were created not only by the hand of God, but we were created for the glory of God. In Isaiah chapter number 43 and verse 7, he says, Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory, I have formed him, yea, I have made him. So why does man exist? We were created by the hand of God. Life was breathed into us from the mouth of God. We come and we look and we see that we were created for the glory of God. In Psalm 1611, we see that we're here for fellowship with God. In Psalm 1611, he says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence, as David writes, is fullness of joy. At, at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Where is David? He's at the right hand. He is in the presence of God. And he's saying that in your presence... When I, am, when I am doing what I was created to do, when I am fulfilling the purpose of my existence, I have joy. I am in your presence. I uh, come to you, Lord, he says, thou wilt show me. You're going to direct my paths. You're going to show me what you want in my life. And because when I stay in your presence, I have fullness of joy. And when I stay at your right hand, I have pleasures forevermore. And so we look and examine this morning that we are created uh, by the hand of God for the glory of God and for fellowship with God. God doesn't come down to fellowship with the lion. He doesn't come down in fellowship uh, with the giraffe. He doesn't come down in fellowship with the fish of the sea. He doesn't come down in fellowship with the birds of the air. He fellowships with man. We were created to be in the presence of God. And you stop and you look as he talks about us being in God's image. And he makes it clear, let us create man in our image. And again, from the very beginning of verse 1 in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created 
Elohim understood, understanding that that one who has the power to create is faithful to see it through to the execution of what he wants it to accomplish. Uh, the strong one, the faithful one, uh, and it is a plural word or name that is understood in the singular sense. And so when you understand grammatically what God says as he expresses himself uh, in the very first verse of the Bible, he says, I am plural, but I am singular. I am three, but I am one. Let us create man in our image. And what he's referring to here is the fact that God is a triune being or a trichotomy. He is Father, He is Son, He is Holy Ghost. You cannot separate, uh, you, cannot distinct, you cannot make distinctions, they're all God. They're all completely God. And they're all individuals, but they're all one. Pastor, I don't understand that. It's a faith issue. We have the classic analogies, the pictures of things that we would think of in such ways, such as the egg, a shell, a yolk, and a white. It's three. It has three distinct properties, three distinct parts, uh, but yet it's one. Uh, there are several things like that in the course of nature that God has put out there for us to kind of begin to try to understand the, the, the Trinity and what and who God is. But the reality is, is that this brain can never fully appreciate who and all that God is. Amen. And I have to accept that by faith. I'm not going to ignore God or deny God because I don't understand God. I'm glad, in fact, that I have a God that's so big that I can't wrap my brain around him. I don't need a God that I can understand. I need a God that can understand me. I don't need a God that I can manipulate and tell what to do. I need a God that can tell me what his expectations are for me. I don't need a God that I need to go out and have to solve his problems. I need a God that can solve my problems. I need a God that's bigger than I am. And when we look at God and we look at him as Elohim, he says, you are created in my image. And just as God is a triune being, man was created as a triune being. God reached down and he made us from the, from the dust of the earth. He formed our physical body, our physical entity. You are this morning a walking hunk of dirt. That's all we are. That's the chemical makeup of humanity. It's dust. Go check it out. Google it. Look it up in scientific journals. Uh, you look up uh, the, the structure of dust and the structure of the human body and it's the same. And so when we look at what we are, God says, I'm giving you a body and your body looks like me. You're going to stand up like I stand. You are going to act and move like I move. You are going to analyze and speak like I speak. Uh, no other creature can reason and think and communicate like humanity. You may teach a parrot to parrot, but you can't teach it uh, to write computer code. There's no other being that has been placed in its, in its abilities what God has placed in the ability of man. And he did that because we're the image of him. He gave us a body. And he says he breathed into us the breath of life and we became a living soul. The soul is the mind, will, and emotions. It is what we would refer to as the heart or the seat 
of the mind, the will, and the emotions. Yes, we have a physical body. This physical body will perish. This physical body will die. This physical body is decaying a little more every day when I look at it in the mirror. Uh, there's, uh, there's one less strand of hair. There's one more wrinkle. There's one more uh, pound. There's one more of a, something that I don't want to be because I'm just getting older. I am decaying as I stand before you this morning because this body will die and it will decompose and it will rot back into the dust of the ground. It's just reality. But the soul will live forever. Amen. The soul is eternal. The soul has eternal existence. From the moment that we were conceived until uh, we and our life began, we will exist from, for eternity from that moment in time. And when we exist, we have to understand that when this body ceases... And the soul goes on, that the soul is going to go on and exist either in the presence of God or out of the presence of God. Either in a place called hell before the white throne judgment and the lake of fire afterward and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, Revelation 2014. Uh, or I'm going to uh, spend eternity in the presence of God. Uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for those that have trusted Christ uh, as their Lord and Savior. And so the soul will live forever. But we have another problem. We were created with a spirit. Our soul cannot communicate with God. My body cannot commune with God. I, I can, yes, and I understand I can speak, I can, but I cannot engage with God absent my spirit. The Spirit is the part of me that has fellowship and communion with God. He expressed that in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, uh, beginning in verse number 10, uh, whenever, he, uh, whenever he wrote uh, these words uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 10, But God hath revealed them unto us uh, by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. Why? That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. I cannot fellowship with, communicate with God outside of my spirit. Now we're going to see... Uh, when we look at sin, the death of our spirit in the Garden of Eden. But man was created body, soul, and spirit. The mirror image of the makeup of God as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And so God created us perfectly. God formed us to fulfill his desires for us on the earth to fellowship with him, to bring glory to him, and to uh, govern and to subdue the earth that he created for our benefit. And so when we look here this morning, we're going to look at three primary things, uh, and mostly from the end of chapter 1 here, again in verse number 26 in Genesis 1, he says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And so God from the very get-go said, I am creating you for a relationship with me. We are created this morning for relationship. 
We have responsibilities. We have obligations. Things that God imposed upon humanity. I have created the earth for you, for your benefit. But the earth has to be cared for. The earth has to be stewarded. The animal life realm and kingdom has to be, has to be governed and, uh, and kept uh, within control and in some cases saved from extinction. All of those things are things that are within the, the responsibilities that God gave to man. And listen, I don't like it any more than any other conservative Christian does uh, whenever, uh, whenever the, the people of, of, you know, worldly people, ungodly people uh, want to elevate, uh, you know, conservation and things of that to a God level and worship it. But the reality is, is that we have a responsibility from God to conserve the earth. We should be conserving the earth. We should be preserving species. We should be caring for it. Why? Because that's one of the things that God instructed that we are to do when he created us. I've created this for you. It's for your food. It's for your enjoyment. It's for your sustenance. Uh, it is for uh, your wealth and, and health and benefit uh, so that you can do what I want you to do and that's fellowship with me. But it had to be cared for. If you buy some property and you clear it out, Brother Roger and Miss Catherine bought a beautiful place out uh, in Dayton and he's been working this summer pushing the tree line back. I've been in places where I've had to do that. If he doesn't keep pushing it back, it's going to start coming back. Every year you've got to push it back about a foot or two. Uh, if you let it go, it creeps back in a foot or two. It's not enough to just get rid of it. You've got to maintain it. Uh, you know, when you go out in the Especially this time of the year. I know in a few weeks our grass will start slowing down a little bit, hopefully. Uh, but, uh, but right now with the cooler weather and the rain, it's kind of taking off and resurging again. Uh, and so you mow it one day and two days later you need to mow it again. Why? It just gets out of control. If it's not cared for, if it's not stewarded, if it's not maintained, uh, if it's left to itself, it becomes wild and unruly and unuseful and unproductive. Listen, God gave us these things for our benefit, but we have to maintain them. It's our responsibility. So man is created... Primarily this morning, we want to see for relationship. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. We want you, uh, mankind, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit say to be like us. Why? And how does that manifest itself? Well, we talked about that a little bit already. Uh, but for the sake of your outline here, we are in the image of God. Now understand this morning, we're the image of God. Now we think about that and we think, okay, so God has two legs and two arms and uh, a torso and a head and a mouth and a face and eyes and, and uh, you know, I believe that he does. We're in his image. But that's not where it ends. Sometimes I think we think along those lines and we think that's the end of it. The reality is, is that we are in the image of God in every conceivable way. We can think. We can process. We can analyze. We can love. We can be angry. We can express and have and express emotions uh, that other creatures cannot have, at least not on the same level that humanity has them. We can control that. 
our emotions. We have some governance of ourselves and some, uh, some responsibility to do so. Where do we get that? It's the image of God. Why is that important for us to understand? Because the bottom line in the day and age in which we live is this. Most people today that don't know the word of God can't make a distinction between the fact that because God is love, that means that somehow he can't get angry. That's a struggle. When you try to present the gospel, try to present the truth, try to present the things that God has said, some, for some people it's hard for them to accept. How could God, who loves, have let this bad thing happen? How could God, if he loves me, let someone go to hell? How could God, if he loves me, and on and on it goes. The reality is, is that we get sick and we degenerate and we die, not because it's what God wanted or what God designed, but because we sinned. And the reality is, as we look at this, that we have to understand that just because God loves doesn't mean that God's still not angry about sin. God, yes, is God love? Absolutely. But he's all, and his God is grace and God is mercy. But God is also wrath and God is also justice and God is also... And we have to understand that, that we ha live in a time when people do not understand that God is all that God is. They don't want to believe that because it's inconvenient to their existence. And the acceptance of that truth means that I have to accept the fact that I have loved ones who have already departed that are in hell. That tragedy should motivate us to live in such a way that others will not meet that fate. But it doesn't change the fact that it's reality. Listen, we are in the image of God. Why is it that we well up when there's wrongdoing and we demand justice because God seeks justice? Why is it that we are hurt when we feel betrayed because God is hurt when he's betrayed? Why is it that we uh, get angry? Uh, we, the Bible tells us, be angry and sin not. It's not a sin to be angry, but it's difficult to be angry and not sin. Not for God. But the reality is God gets angry. God gets angry at our sin. God judges our sin. God's love has made necessary that justice be satisfied. God's nature demands justice. God's nature will destroy sin with his wrath. But God's love made a way for those that have sinned, all of us, to be reconciled to him. God's love doesn't exempt the need for justice. God's love satisfied the price of justice. And when we get our minds wrapped around the fact that we are in God's image, and all of us can understand that have children, I love my children even when I'm mad at them. We all have been angry at our children. We've all been disappointed. We've all felt betrayed. We've all felt all kinds of emotions regarding our children. We've felt love. We've felt euphoria. We've felt uh, like dreams are realized. But we've felt all of the negative aspects too. If you're a young parent and you haven't experienced some of those negative things, just wait. It's coming. How do you know, Pastor? Because that's just human nature and it's life. We all are guilty of the same things. It's just a reality. 
I'm not doing myself or anyone else any favors whenever I don't face that reality. And the reality is, is that I disappoint my Father in heaven at times and it breaks his heart. And I sin against him at times and it makes him angry. But he never doesn't love me. Do you realize this morning that there will not be one person that spends an eternity in the lake of fire that does so not being loved by God? He paid the penalty for their sin. He loved them enough to pay the price. They didn't love him enough to accept the gift. That's not God's fault. God said, you are created for fellowship, for relationship with me. The single most important thing in life is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Everything else is to support it, to point us to it, to nurture us in it, uh, to fulfill the, the love and the work of God. Uh, we are in the image of God and we are loved by God. He desires our companionship. That's an amazing thought. Why would God want to spend time with me? I can't figure out why my wife wants to spend time with me half the time. Why would God want to spend time with me? Why would my adult children want to spend time with me? I mean, I can look at a lot of things and say, it's kind of hard for me to wrap my brain around this, but nothing is so hard to understand as why God would want to take the time to spend with just an old sinner like me. But he does. Why? Because he loves us. And what we see this morning is that God created us for relationship from the very beginning. We are in his image and we are loved by him. And I would say this thirdly, that we are the fulfillment of God. And what I mean by that is this. I understand that animal life has the capacity to love on some level. I've had... Uh, when I was a boy, one of, the, one of the little ponies that I had, when I think my dad on purpose went out and bought the meanest animal he could find. It would bite, it would kick. And I had to learn how to break that. I'd have to chase it for an hour to catch it so I could ride it. And then for the next 30 minutes, it just tried to get me off of him. And then I'd finally get it under control. My dad get a BB gun out and shoot it in the hindquarters, see if it could get bucking again. See if I could handle it. And so, uh, you know, it was, it was just the, the reality. I knew if I was going to go and ride that animal that I was going to have a fight on my hands and before I could even start fighting, I was going to have to chase it for an hour before I caught it. It was in a big open pasture, probably about three quarters of an acre, and there, was, there wasn't really any way for me to corner it that well by myself. Eventually, I would manage. You know, by the time I had that horse for a while, all I had to do to ride it was just go out and hold the bridle up at the edge of the fence and rattle it and then come running. I've had dogs all throughout my life, especially as a boy, and I could say that, uh, that you know, the right breeds of dogs raised in the right environment are very loving, affectionate, and protective of their master. But that dog will never love you like your child can love you. And that dog loves you because it really doesn't have much choice. If you treat it right, it's going to treat you well in return. If you mistreat it, it'll get mean. The, the, the point is this morning is that if I go and get a dog and the dog turns out to be loving and kind, I really don't, I, I'm glad, 
but it doesn't make me feel awesome. It doesn't make me feel like I've accomplished much. I just treated it and it responded. Humanity is the only thing in creation that can choose to love or not to love God back. There is nothing in life so fulfilling as a loving relationship with your spouse and your children who return that love, not because they're trying to manipulate and get something from you, because they simply choose to, to love you and express it in return. Why did God create mankind? How is man the fulfillment of something as, as someone as infinite and as powerful and awesome of God? And the answer that I offer this morning to the question is this, that man is the only thing in creation, not the fish of the sea, not the birds of the air, not the animals of the land, not the angels in heaven have a choice as to whether or not they're going to love God. We can choose to love him or we can choose to reject him. We can choose to obey him. Listen, the beast of the field cannot choose to disobey God. Humanity can. And when humanity rises up, receives Christ as their savior, expresses faith, receives grace, has a regenerated or born again spirit that can now fellowship with God, pray to God, commune with God, fulfill the will of God, serve the purpose of God, bring glory and honor to God, that that to God is the fulfillment of what he made creation for in the first place. No creature of any species will ever be satisfied, fulfilled, or happy unless it's fulfilling the purpose for which it's created. And no human being will ever truly be fulfilled, satisfied, have the capacity to love and be loved outside of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. God fulfills you and the amazing miracle is, is that somehow you and I fulfill God. And we look this morning and see that we were created for the fulfillment of God. We can love him and obey him and serve him by choice. Secondly, this morning I would say that man is created for stewardship. Again, in verse number 26, chapter 1, he says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Notice the next statement. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. I'm so glad that I have dominion over ants and scorpions and wasps and things that I want to crush whenever they get. Spider comes to my I'm crushing it. Salamander runs in the house. I'm more likely to pick it up and throw it out. My wife wants it crushed. We have dominion. We were created to govern the earth. We have the responsibility to govern the earth. I'm not going to spend much time on this point. It's just we need to understand our role. We have the responsibility to govern the earth. Secondly, I would say we have the responsibility to care for the earth. Governing doesn't equal caring. Take a good look at what's going on in our country these days and you can get a pretty good understanding of that. Take a look at the old Soviet Union, 
old Nazi Germany, all of the different tyrannical systems throughout history, which we are becoming quickly. We look at all of these things and we can say, were those people governed? Yes. Were they cared for? No. Our responsibility is to govern the earth, yes. But our responsibility is also to care for the earth. To preserve it and to prolong it to the will of God. You understand biblically that God is going to destroy the earth at some point. We want to preserve it as long as possible so the Holy Spirit has more time to work so that more people can trust Christ and that God can receive more glory. That's our responsibility. And thirdly, I would say on this point that we are to enjoy the earth. You know it's not sinful for you to go out and enjoy the earth. It's not sinful to go fishing, to enjoy the water. It's not sinful to go enjoy a good hike. It's not sinful. Uh, Pastor, how in the world can I serve God and have time to do that? We are given the responsibility of caring for, but we're also given the, uh, the ability and the freedom to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy his creation. I love taking a long drive. I love looking. I can look out the window for hours, literally, uh, and be lost in it. Uh, I love driving through national parks. I love looking at the change of colors in the leaves. I understand that if you never leave Southeast Texas, you don't really understand that concept. Uh, but uh, but in most parts of the country, the leaves do actually change to other colors from other than green and brown. Uh, and so. It's really quite beautiful. If you ever get a chance to experience this, you should give it a try. Uh, and so it's just a wonderful thing. Uh, there's this amazing white stuff that falls from the sky once in a while called snow. And you can have a great time in it once you, you get cold. But, uh, but it's, it's awesome uh, and amazing. Uh, and so, and then, uh, you know, there are people that, that live in colder climates that don't enjoy what we get to enjoy. Uh, and so, it, but we're to enjoy what God created. God created all of this for our enjoyment. Sometimes it's good to take a breath from life and just enjoy what God's given us. There's, not a, there's no wrong in that. There's no sin in that. It's right and it's appropriate. It's a good thing. Don't put it before God, but enjoy it. Enjoy the earth. Then thirdly and lastly this morning, we see that man is created for partnership. God created us for relationship. God created us to steward and God created us for partnership. God has a plan. And you're part of it. When I see here in verses 27 and 28, so God created man in his own image. And the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now I'm going to make just a statement here because a lot of people get hung up in this word replenish and question whether or not there's this big gap between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. The word here replenish is the Hebrew word male, which means to fill or to fulfill. It doesn't mean to refill. The Hebrew word properly translated means to fill. And so we have other words in English that begin with re that don't mean to do something again. When we read to refill, we automatically think to fill again. That's not what the Hebrew word here means. It means simply to fill and then to fulfill what God established it to do. Uh, as uh, uh, Brother Yates in the Faith Bible Institute course so eloquently states uh, that the, the, we, uh, we rebel and repent, but we don't pent or bell. It, it's not a recurrence. It's not again. It's just 
a different use of the prefix into the word. What, it, what we're saying here is that God created and that was the end of creation. He's not continuing to create new kinds. His work was complete. His work was finished. So man is created for partnership. What do I mean by that? I mean, first of all, I have to come to a place where I realize that I must align with God's person. If I'm going to partner with God to bring him glory and to fulfill his plan and create in me, I have to align myself with him. I can't be out here doing things on my own. You know, as, as just a small church and a small church staff, if I uh, set out the agenda for the church and what God, how God, I believe, is through prayer led for us to go, and then Brother Trayvon comes in and says, well, I don't agree with that, so I'm going to do this. In the short term, things are going to be a wreck. In the long term, Brother Trayvon's not going to have a job. Because it's not going to work. And, and if I don't, uh, if, if we come from our small concept and Brother Trevon can't align himself to how the pastor that hired him is leading, then we're working against each other instead of with one another. Listen, we can't work against God and accomplish anything with God. Okay, I, I don't even want to say accomplish anything for God, which is our typical vernacular. But the truth is, is that nothing is accomplished unless God accomplishes it. I want to accomplish it with him. But that requires that I bring myself into alignment with him. In other words, that I begin to see things the way he sees them. That I begin to have the values that he has. That I, value, that I begin to look at things the way that he looks at them. That the word of God governs how I view things, how I think about things, how I act, how I behave. I must come into alignment with the person of God. I must also align myself with God's power. It's great whenever a Christian, especially a new Christian, grows to the point where they can say, you know, I get it. I believe this, but the Bible says that. I choose the Bible. I'm aligning myself with it. Uh, but it's another thing altogether whenever we realize that we don't have the power to do anything on our own and we tap into the power of the Holy Spirit and God empowers us to do what he's given us to do. There are a lot of good-meaning, well-intentioned people uh, that are fully, uh, that love the Lord and are fully committed to bringing Him honor and glory, but they try to do everything in their own strength and by their own might. They're aligned with God's person, but they're not aligned with God's power. Faith taps me into the power of God. Obedience and uh, being one with Him uh, and communing with Him taps me into his power and when I yield myself to him and I move myself out of the way in agreement with him walking in step with him then God can step in and empower me and when I'm aligned with his power and I'm pursuing his will for my life then God can bring bring himself glory through me the third thing that I would say here is that we are to then uh, align ourselves with God's power uh, align ourselves with God's person and then we can begin to enact God's plan God has a plan for you. Align yourself with him. Align yourself with his empowerment. And you can begin then to fulfill the plan that God has for your life. We enact that plan. Three thoughts about this. We enact that plan first of all in the home. Very first thing that God institutes in the scripture institutionally is the home. 
church isn't first, it's the home. It is a picture of the relationship with humanity with the Godhead. A godly father epitomizes and plants the seed and is the image to an infant child and a toddler child of God. A small child loves and reveres their father even if he's a creep because they don't understand. They just know he's dad. It's a picture. When it's a godly father that nurtures and loves and cares for and is holy and leads, it is a healthy picture. It is very easy for that child to put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because if he trusts his father that he can see, he comes to understand at an early age that he can trust his heavenly father that he can't see. But if dad betrays that trust, it becomes very difficult for that child then to transfer trust to God the Father. It's institutional. God set the structure in place. God, uh, God created us male and female. The culture needs to be reminded of that. And all of the nonsense that's being spewed about uh, how you identify uh, and all of that baloney. God created us male and female. There is nothing else. That, 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 that's the end of the discussion. You can put all kinds of labels and you can identify as a cricket. But that doesn't make you a cricket even if you go chirp all night. You're still a person. And it's just that the things that, that our culture and society are accepting are beyond any intelligent being's rationale. There's no way to even reason it or to make logical sense of it. It is just a complete, open, and utter rebellion against God. And when we look and we see, well, this person has this right and this has, that person has no right. Yeah, and they have a right to reject God and spend eternity in a lake of fire too. And when I understand this morning that God wants me aligned with him, he gave us the structure of the family, a father and a mother and children and the structure of the home for a reason. It's there for a purpose. It is there so that when it's in line with God and when it's empowered with God and when it is enacting the plan of God, that generation upon generation upon generation trust God for salvation. They live for God in empowerment and they can turn a world upside down for the sake of the gospel. But when the father crumbles, all that God intended crumbles. When we look and we understand that we must be aligned with his person and, and in line with his power before we can enact his plan. And his, his plan begins in the home. He also has a plan for the world. We are to make a difference in it. We are to walk with him. We are to be empowered with him. We are to share the, what Jesus Christ has done. Which means that I have to share, this is the hard part, uh, for people to understand that in sharing that God loves you means I also have to share uh, why you need him. I need him because I'm a sinner. I need him because without him I'm going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. I need him because there's nothing I can do about it on my own. I need him because I can't do it. Why do I need the love of God? It's great that God loves, but if I don't understand that I need his love, 
And if I don't understand that he still wants justice for sin and that he still has wrath that's going to destroy it and that that love means that he sent Jesus to die on the cross and to become my sin so that he could pour his wrath out on him instead of me and so that he could pay for that sin and just satisfy justice, that love that he gave his life for his friends means that I can then be forgiven and I can receive his grace as I exercise faith in him so that I can be in fellowship with him once again. That's what God seeks to do. He has a plan for the world and that plan is to go out through the church. He grows us within the home he has a plan for that home, a plan for the world, and his plan is for us to come to the church and to be nurtured and to be unified and to be fed and to be cultivated and to be inspired and, and to be uh, prepared and equipped. Why? To go out and to do the work of Christ in the world around us. Why does man exist? Why did God create us? Because we bring him pleasure, we bring him honor, we bring him glory. Everything else that he created, he created to sustain human life. The oxygen in the air is for you and me. The earth is for you and me. The water is for you and me. The salt in the ocean is for you and me. There's no, there's, to me, there's little that's as amazing as the oceans. Not just that they're vast expanse, but the purpose that they serve. They are Earth's filtration system. They purify the air that we breathe. They purify the contaminated the ground. The water carries it to the sea, the salt purifies it, the sun evaporates it back up, the wind blows it across so that it falls fresh and unsalty again. There's no new water being produced, there's no new anything being produced. God created what is. And God put it in effect and in order to sustain human life so that we can fellowship with Him, so we can glorify Him, so that we can walk with Him. God uh, created everything so that we can be what he wants us to be for his benefit to bring fulfillment to him as he brings fulfillment to us. That's creation. That's the beginning. Whenever young couples come together, a lot of times you'll hear them make this statement. I'm going to make just a statement or two and we'll be done this morning. And the statement will be something like this. You know, I, a, a young man will ask a young lady to marry him uh, and he'll say, I want to do life with you. Understand this morning that when God stepped out and spoke all that is into existence and brought the fish and the fowl out of the sea and the creeping thing and the cattle out of the earth and he bent down and he formed man out of the ground. He did so because he wants to do eternity with you. He loves you. He created for you. He began everything for you. Will you walk through life and eternity with him?